Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our executive director, Julie Meredith, for this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Julie, and I want to give a little shout out to our church family at House of Hope, Heart of God. They're gathering downtown today, and we are so glad that we can share this time with you guys, even if we're not in the same place. And want to say welcome to everyone who's watching online. We are so glad that you're able to join us today. And we're going to go ahead and start with a question today that I hope you will keep in mind as we spend this time together. And the question is one that I've been asking myself each day as I've been working on this, sometimes multiple times a day, and it's a really simple question. The question is this, who are you living for? Because the reality is we all live for something or someone. Now, some of us are going to really quickly say, well, I live for God because we're here in church on a Sunday morning and the answer is always Jesus, right? So let's pretend it's Wednesday, okay? It's Wednesday right now. And the thing is, we all have family and friends that we take care of and we put a lot of time into, but behind those people, behind just stuff you do, I want you to think about who do you prioritize? Who do you turn to when you need advice or when you need to make a decision? Who do you base those on? Now, it could be God, but it could be a spouse or another family member. It could be a best friend, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. It could actually be a social issue, or it could be something else that you have a passion about, a hobby. You might say, well, that's kind of where I base my decisions. Or maybe it's just you. You say, I kind of call the shots in my life, and, and, and I'm in charge of it. But all of us, all of us filter our decisions in this life through some lens, whether we realize it or not, whether we think about it or not. So the question, who are you living for? Now, since the beginning of 2021, we've been looking at the story of Jesus, the life of Jesus, as we go through the book of Mark. And up until this point, we have seen Jesus do some amazing, amazing things. And we've seen a lot of advantages to following Jesus. I mean, blessings that can come from following him that we probably couldn't count. If I listed the blessings in my life from following Jesus, it would be the rest of, of our time here together. But today we are going to look at a truth that you may not hear very often. And it's a truth about following Jesus that people don't really like to talk about. It's disregarded. It can be kind of shoved down, buried, or ignored. But Jesus was very upfront, very direct about making sure he talked about this part of following him. And it's something about the Christian faith that is so important to understand. It's actually caused people to turn away from following Jesus. In the past, it still does today. And here's what that thing is. The thing that we're going to talk about today, the truth that we're going to talk today is that if you decide to live for Jesus, eventually it will cost you something. So these five verses that we're going to look at today in the book of Mark, um, they are really pretty much the defining words of Jesus for what it means to follow him, to live for him. He explains very directly, first, the cost to become his disciple, his follower, and second, why this matters. 
Now, last week, Chris Dew was here, and um, if you missed that message, it was really, really valuable. I want to encourage you to watch it, listen to it, go online, catch up with that. And we're going to pick up where Chris left off in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And Chris pointed out last week that this is really a turning point in the life of Jesus. He kind of physically turns and heads to Jerusalem, but also it's at this point when Jesus explains to his disciples, hey, I am going to have to suffer, I'm going to be rejected, and I'm going to die. And you might remember that in response to this, Peter, one of his closest disciples, pulls Jesus away and rebukes him for saying this. And then Jesus, in front of all the disciples, rebukes Peter back. He says, get behind me. He calls him Satan, right? It was this big deal. But here's the thing. Before we're too critical of Peter, we got to remember this, that up until this point, Jesus is showing his disciples all sorts of things. They're seeing miracles, power. Jesus is growing in popularity. And these disciples are kind of enjoying the fringe benefit of this popularity, of being a follower of Jesus. And on top of that, they are expecting him as their savior, which he's just confessed to them, to initiate this military conquest of Rome you know, to free them politically from the powers that are oppressing them. So when Jesus says, that's not my plan, you know, it's hard to blame Peter for pulling him aside and saying, wait a minute. I mean, think about it. The political leader that you're behind, if you were in his or her inner circle and and, and they were like, you know what? I'm just going to let the enemy take me down. I might even just die. I mean, you'd pull him aside and be like, wait a minute, right? So we got to take it a little easy on him. And the thing is, when you're following Jesus, even more than anyone else, of course you're enjoying the benefits. I mean, we enjoy the benefits too. So with this context kind of in mind and with our question, who are you living for? Let's go ahead and take a look at Mark chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 34. And here's what Jesus says. It says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So Real quick, not just his disciples, but the whole crowd, everyone who's there. You know, he's probably waiting for them to all come over and quiet down a little bit. You know, if they had phones, he'd probably tell them to silence them or something. He's probably telling Peter, hey, Peter, you can come back, but sit on the front road. Keep your mouth shut. Listen up, you know. So he goes on and he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And in just one sentence, Jesus explains very clearly the cost to be his disciple, his follower. Now notice that first, Jesus says whoever, and in some translations it says anyone. So this is incredibly inclusive. Regardless of your past, your present, your personal struggles, everyone is invited by Jesus. But to accept this invitation, there are three things that everyone or anyone must do. So first, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Now, you know what it means to deny yourself. I know what it means to deny myself. Uh, You know, when my kids were little and we were having ice cream, we always had a bunch of ice cream in the house. I said to them one time, hey, just the fact that I'm an adult doesn't mean that I don't want to eat the whole container of ice cream. I do. Of course I do. But I choose not to. I deny myself and I only eat most of the container of the ice cream, right? So it's simple. You know, denying yourself is you saying no to you. But really, you're making this decision for you. I mean, why don't I eat all the ice cream? It's really not so there's more for everyone else because I can get more ice cream. There's always more ice cream. It's because I know I'll feel really, really sick if I always eat all the ice cream. So I'm denying myself for my own good. 
And that's what we usually do. But in this case, in this context, really the whole crowd that's following Jesus is following him to be part of his political and social takeover, to be with him when he rises to power. It meant that they would then have to deny their own agenda, their own plans, their own desires that they wanted from him. Whatever they wanted him to be or do for them, they would have to give up. And so Jesus says, what I want for you and what you want for you are very different. So if you've been around the vineyard for a while, you've heard us say this a lot, right? We want what God wants more than we want what we want. And I think we say it so often because, you know, it's hard to remember. By nature, we are selfish people, right? I mean, you can put, what, maybe a dozen toddlers in a room, give them eight toys and give them 10 minutes, and and you see that our nature is to be very selfish. But when we choose to follow Jesus, we are choosing to deny our desires when they don't line up with his desires. The choice to be his disciple means that we have already chosen his way over our way, whatever his way turns out to be. Now, I know that in our culture today, this is highly unpopular. You know, our culture, our culture doesn't just say, don't deny yourself, but it says it is all about you. The world constantly, constantly is saying, you deserve whatever you want. You deserve whatever makes you feel good. And we're told that affirming people everyone for anything they feel like doing or saying or being, that that's the definition of love. If we don't affirm everything, we're called unloving. And many people are actually beginning to tag the name of Jesus onto this. But the reality is it would be incredibly unloving to tell anyone a lie about what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. It would be deceptive and unkind. It would even be manipulative. Now, At our house, we have uh, one of those smooth top stoves. And years ago, we had a family visiting us and they had a little girl. And when you turn that stove on, it gets bright red, then it goes away, then it gets bright red and it looks kind of cool. And so she comes running over because she's like, man, I want to touch that. That's awesome. Now, let me ask you, would it be loving for me just to smile and affirm what she wants to do? Or would it be more loving of me, the person who knows the truth about what she wants to warn her that she will end up with a severely burned hand. I mean, she may not like it. She may not listen to me, but at least she has the chance to be saved from a lot of pain. And see, we as Christians, we go through, if, if we go through life condoning all beliefs and behaviors in the name of love, we're actually doing harm. And if you really read about how Jesus lived, he always loved He was always honest with people, but even when it wasn't necessarily affirming of someone's desires. Sometimes, instead, he would tell them, you've got to deny yourself. I mean, think about it. When he talked to someone who had been caught in an adulterous situation, he said, hey, I love you. I'm going to love you in the moment. But then he said, stop it. Go and don't do it again. When one of his disciples was trying to get around paying a tax, Jesus said, no, 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 no. You need to pay the tax. And then Jesus loved him by helping him find a way to pay that tax. And think about Peter, who we were just looking at. Peter rebukes Jesus. He corrects him. And then Jesus says, no, 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 and rebuked Peter's perspective, even to the point of calling him Satan. I mean, Jesus doesn't kick Peter out. He still loves him. In fact, eventually, 
Jesus gives him a leadership role in what he's doing, but Jesus does not condone Peter's preference or his mindset or his behavior. The issue isn't really the desire or the tendency or the temptation or the preference. The issue isn't the struggle. The issue is what we do with the struggle that we happen to be having. And see, your answer to this, your response to this over time will determine how you answer the question, who are you living for? Now, in our world, will this be hard sometimes? Absolutely. Will this be lonely sometimes? You bet it will be. Because we live in a world that's centered around self. David Jeremiah, who's a pastor and an author, he he wrote this, and I just thought it was so well said. He said, too often, compassion is used to override our better judgment and approve of ungodly lifestyles. We tell ourselves that we don't witness about our faith because we fear offending someone. We're silent in the face of political and moral decline because we want to be thought of as nice and not judgmental. We don't want to let people know that the way into the kingdom is narrow and there's a cost to following Jesus. And then he quotes this um, Christian poet whose name I will not beat up by trying to say it, but he says this, he says, we all have crosses to bear and we are constantly trying on different ones for a good fit. We are all trying to find a lighter cross. And this leads us to the second thing that Jesus says we must do if we want to live for him, to be his disciple. He says this, back to verse 34. Whoever wants to be my disciple must first deny themselves and second, take up their cross. Now that phrase, take up your cross, is one that you may have heard someone use to refer to something difficult they're going through in life. You know, they've got a a difficult coworker that they have to work with, or they have, you know, a family member that is just overbearing, or maybe they, you know, they have a wife who reminds them every single day of what they haven't got done around the house. And maybe, maybe that just happens at my house. But anyway, you know, you hear someone say, it's just my cross to bear. But this isn't what Jesus was talking about. We have to look at the scripture and and interpret it as best we can in the context of what was going on. See, the crowd that Jesus was talking to that was there, they would have thought of the cross, a cross, in a very specific way. And it would have had nothing to do with, you know, a coworker or your mother-in-law or your, your pestery wife or something like that. They, every adult Jew who was there would have witnessed firsthand crucifixion. Because when they traveled to Jerusalem, the Romans who crucified people made sure that they lined the major roadways to make a public example of the people who were crucified. And the thing is, there were times that if someone had rebelled against them, they would, they would, they would, they would do maybe 2,000 crucifixions at once. It was always unspeakably shameful. It was a terrible way to die. People were crucified naked. They hung helpless for days. They were subject to, you know, predatory animals and infection and disease. I mean, it was was humiliating. But here's what else Jesus' listeners knew. That when someone went to the cross, if you were associated with them, you too may end up on a cross. The cross was never heroic. It was never something you wanted always shameful, always humiliating, always public, always painful, and it always led to death. So Jesus is saying everyone is welcome, but choosing to follow him, choosing to live for him, very well may cause you to be shamed. 
maybe tortured, maybe put to death. Now, for us today, we most likely, hopefully, will not ever have to face that kind of a death, crucifixion on a cross. But Jesus did. And, you know, most of my life, I thought that it was his cross, you know, the cross of Jesus. But, you know, Jesus never calls it his cross. Every time Jesus refers to a cross, he refers to it as the believer's cross, the Christian's cross, the follower's cross, them carrying the cross. I mean, think about it. It is more accurately my cross or your cross that he picked up and carried that day and then died on. There's no reason he personally needed to carry and die on a cross. He owed God nothing. He lived his life without sin. But I, I'm sinful. I owe God my life. I deserve every bit of punishment that would come with that cross. So really, Jesus took up my cross and your cross in our place. And Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament of the Bible and who spent the first part of his life, his adult life, persecuting Christians, killing Christians, hating Jesus, he becomes a Christian, he becomes a follower, and then he ends up denying himself and and following Jesus the rest of his life. And in Philippians, he says this, he says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus didn't want to carry that cross. He asked his father God three times, if there's any way out of this, God, please take it. But he followed that prayer with, God, your will, not mine. He denied himself, he took up his cross, and he followed God's command. Mark 8, 34, back to that verse, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and then his third thing he says is, and follow me. And guys, this, this is actually really good news See, in asking us to follow him, Jesus is saying he will never ask us to do anything he didn't do that, as he walked this earth as a human, right? In the book of Hebrews 4, we even read about how Jesus was tempted in every way that we are tempted. It's just that he didn't end up sinning. See, if you believe he is God, but you don't choose to follow him as your God, if you just leave it at believing, he's not really your God. There's a really sobering verse in James chapter two. It's verse 19. It says, you believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. Now I want to make sure I'm really clear about something. Salvation is free. It costs you nothing. You can't earn it. It's 100% by the grace of God when we believe Jesus is our savior by his blood shed on the cross as redemption for our sin. Ephesians 2 tells us this very clearly. I'm just going to read it because it's not just me. It's, it's the word of God. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But if we leave it at this, if we just find God and we don't live life following God, there's a reason we have two parts to our mission statement finding God and following God, then we really, instead of being a follower of God, we're a freeloader. 
Now, if you don't know what a freeloader is, you can ask a college student with a car or someone with a truck who has a bunch of friends without one, okay? They'll, they'll know a lot of freeloaders, okay? But if you don't know what a freeloader is, here, here's the definition. The definition of freeloader is this, to impose upon another's generosity or hospitality without sharing in the cost or responsibility involved. So, in other words, take all you can get entirely at someone else's expense. And Dallas Willard, who is um, this author and a Christian philosopher, he, ma he, he made the point this way. He said, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. See, God providing grace for us demanded the full effort of Jesus. So my effort to follow Jesus will never come close to the effort he made for me to be forgiven. 1 Peter 2.21 says this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. Following in someone's steps takes effort, takes an action. It's not just belief. Yes, salvation is free, but following Jesus will eventually cost you something. So are you following Jesus? Who are you living for? And this brings us to the why, kind of the second part of what Jesus talked about in these little five verses. So considering that you're going to have to deny yourself, that you may be persecuted, that you may be shamed, why would anyone say they want to follow Jesus? Well, picking up in verse 35, Jesus gives this brilliant answer. He says this, he says, for whoever wants to save their life, and, and I kind of wonder if Jesus like paused at this moment because you know, people are probably going, whoa, 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 this is really heavy stuff he's saying. And now he's saying whoever wants to save their life. And I know some people don't want to, but most people, if you think about it, really want to save their life. I mean, why do we go to the doctor? Why do we exercise? Why do we eat healthy? Why do we try to break unhealthy habits? You know, we want to keep our life. We want to save our life. And think of the links we go to in this world to save life. I mean, think of the, the tragedy in Surfside, Florida. I mean, we are still, I think, trying to find anybody who we can possibly save the life of. Or think of COVID-19 for the last year and a half. You know, I mean, if the threat was just a little, a little virus that really had no harm, like the thousands of viruses we don't talk about, we wouldn't have worried about it. But we were afraid people were going to die. So we've upheavaled our lives for the last year and a half, right? Think about, you know, um, counselors, overbooked counseling rooms right now. Counselors don't have enough space for the people that need them or the suicide hotlines. Why? Because when someone else is trying to take their life, we're trying to save their life. Think of the Narcan we've used over and over, sometimes the same person, over and over. We want to save life, like everybody wants to save their life. And not only that, our lives don't just consist of, you know, breathing and moving. Our lives consist of our stuff. I mean, if we're honest about it, our stuff helps us either enjoy life or enable us to live, and so we don't want to lose our stuff. You know, some of us pay for stuff that we've paid for to make sure we can pay for it again if we need to. It's called insurance. And I wish I would have thought of that first, you know, right? But anyway, Jesus continues, for whoever wants to save their life, most everyone, will lose it. And he's kind of stating the obvious. You know, he's saying, you can work so hard to save your life and you might prolong it, but eventually you're gonna lose it. That's one thing every single person has in common. He's saying, you're trying to save something that you can't. And he goes on and he says, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will 
save it. Whoever chooses to deny themselves, not just for themselves, not to be a martyr, not like go sell all your stuff to look humble, but whoever chooses to deny themselves when that's what's required to follow me, then I will save their life. That's what he's saying. And you know, this, this, this denying thing, it looks different for everybody when you're trying to follow Jesus because you have your own unique relationship with Jesus and other people. I mean, maybe denying for you will look like stepping away from a relationship that doesn't honor God with someone or a group of people. Maybe it'll be a job that demands you to do something that dishonors God and you know, I gotta step away. Maybe you struggle with anger or jealousy and right now you're using that to hurt people and you're like, man, I gotta change that in my life. Maybe you care way more about your stuff than you do about those people in your life. But the thing is, you're gonna lose your life and all that goes with it anyway. I mean, in the end, we leave it all behind. We can't take it with us, right? You know, I was thinking about this. I was, I was in our basement the other day. I thought, man, our kids are gonna wish they could send a lot of this junk with us, but you can't. It just doesn't work that way. So if there's something you have to give up, it isn't really a loss. It's just giving it up sooner or by choice. So see, Jesus in saying this is offering this incredible opportunity to give up what you're gonna give up anyway, but in such a way that it impacts the destination of your soul. And then maybe, you know, just to make this really clear, Jesus says this in verse 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And last week when I was um, just doing some, some work on this, I came across this little bit of history and I thought it was really timely and, and pretty profound. Charlemagne, who was the king of the Franks, which became France, he was this incredibly wealthy king and he was very, very loved. And I mean, we can't even imagine the wealth he had. And when he died, he had left instructions very specifically about how he wanted to be buried. He wanted to be buried in the palace chapel on his throne in his purple imperial robes with his crown on his head, his scepter in his hand, and his open Bible on his lap. And so that's how he was buried. And then years and years later, archaeologists opened the tomb of Charlemagne and they found something very interesting. Charlemagne was almost perfectly preserved. He's still sitting on his throne, crown on his head, scepter in his hand, Bible in his lap. And this is what's so fascinating. His finger was pointing to a specific verse in the Bible, and that verse was Mark 8, 36. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? See, you can pay for all the stuff, but the stuff can't pay for you. The only person who can pay for your life is Jesus. And you don't have to wonder, you know, well, will he? Is he good for it? Because he already has. So again, who are you living for? Now, the final verse in this section of Mark today, verse 38 says this, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man, and that's Jesus referring to himself, will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels. And this may sound harsh. I mean, it is a harsh statement to tell someone you're going to be ashamed of them, right? 
But as I was really kind of wrestling with this and taking some time to think about it, I believe there are a couple of things that God just made a little bit more clear. And the first is this, that the cross is all about shame. And again, this idea of being shamed, especially in this culture, would have been as much of a threat as suffering or dying. So addressing this made perfect sense. I mean, Jesus was acknowledging that even if they didn't have to carry a literal cross, their association with him, the guy who was going to carry the cross, would almost inevitably bring them shame. So he made sure that they knew this is, this is a cost you're going to have. And then second, and th this one actually just kind of hit me hard, that this is one of the most bold statements of the cost of freedom. See, if that was actually your cross that Jesus was carrying, hit, not his, but, but your cross, and you are ashamed of him, then you've made your decision to reject his gift. See, when Jesus denied his human desires his whole life to live perfectly and then took up your cross, Jesus did all that he could do. He experienced separation and rejection from God so that you would have the freedom to choose not to. He put the ball in your court. Then he gave you 100% freedom to do whatever you'd want with it. So see, if you're ashamed of Jesus, if you want nothing to do with him, if you choose not to follow him, then you've actually made the choice for him to then need to turn away from you and leave you alone. And yes, to be ashamed of you, of that. It sounds tough, but guys, this is what God's telling us. This is the stuff we've got to know about following Jesus. There is a cost to following Jesus, but there's a much greater cost in not following him. Paul says this in Philippians, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. In other words, this is something he's thought about, but will have sufficient courage acknowledging it's going to take courage to do this. So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, Paul had chosen who he was living for. And I love Dallas Willard's definition of discipleship. He says, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Like Paul is saying, however I live, I want to make it like Christ. You know, so often when we're following Jesus, we can look around and we can wonder, how come it seems like the people who aren't denying themselves and, and who aren't following Jesus have it easier or better, you know? They're winning, right? It feels like that sometimes. Well, if we're still living in this world and your hope is in this world, it will seem that way. Part of denying ourselves is choosing this different perspective that God is willing to give us. And we're reminded of this in Colossians 3, it says this, set your hearts on things above, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then 2 Corinthians 4 says this, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
So we fix our eyes on what is seen. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, when we follow Jesus over time, our perspective becomes more and more like this. But he never says that in this life, this side of heaven, our circumstances will be best by the world's standards. They may be. And you know what? If they are, I hope you thank God for it. Thank God for how he blesses you. But they may not be. And when you walk with God long enough and you experience him making good out of even the junk in your life, when you experience his presence in your life with each decision that you make for him, whenever, whatever you give up, when it begins to just seem small in comparison to what he's doing in your life and to having his presence with you. And once again, Paul, he puts it this way. He says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Now I want to share with you just two final verses that have come to mind over and over this past week when I've been working on this message. Um, They're found in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. And they say this, it begins fixing our eyes on Jesus. And it goes on, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So are you fixing your eyes on Jesus? Are you getting to know him, keeping him in front of all your decisions? Is he the lens that you're living life through? When you struggle, do you consider him? Do you realize he's faced the opposition that you are facing? Do you go to him as your first person to seek counsel from? Do you lean into him and ask him to help you not lose heart? And did you hear that perspective of Jesus? For the joy set before him. I mean, how could there be joy when you're being wrongfully accused, shamed, ridiculed, rejected, tortured, condemned? Well, the joy was that his denial of himself would make a way for him to share eternity with you, if you will accept it. He took your cross with joy. Now, I've been asking you to consider who are you living for? But have you ever thought about who Jesus lived for? Yes, Jesus died for you. But first, in his obedience to God, Jesus lived for you. There is a cost to living for Jesus, to following him. But the benefit of living for him is far greater than the cost will ever be. So, who will you live for? Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you personally that you took up my cross. And God, that before that you chose to live for me so that I could have the chance to have a relationship with you and with my Heavenly Father through you. 
And God, I thank you that you have offered that to every person listening. God, I pray we would not take it for granted. God, I pray that we would accurately count the cost of whoever or whatever we are living for. And God, that in the end, we would give you the glory, the praise, and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.